We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and on today's show, I'm going to be going solo, answering some of your mailbag questions. Now, look, it's Christmas Day. I threw this tweet out on, on Twitter just saying, hey, guys, I'm going to do a mailbag podcast by myself. If you guys have any questions, throw them my way. Got like 28 questions, and I said, holy moly, there's no way I can do all that in one episode. So I'm only going to be answering six, and then me and Fachi will be answering the rest later this week. So Thank you all so much for sending in so many questions. I appreciate the response, and I know it has not been very fun to talk about the Pacers right now as they've lost six of their last eight games, but we're still seeing you guys you know, tune into the show, and we really are appreciative of that. Bocci and I will be back to recap the Pacers-Rockets game that's going to take place on December 26th, Tuesday night. Everybody's days probably are thrown off a little bit here with Christmas kind of interrupting the week, but I am, I'm excited to get back into a routine here, here shortly, but... Uh, also excited for this mailbag podcast. We got some really good questions here from Chase Hoops, Gavin, Rooster, Aaron M, Tyler Christian, and Bucket. So I'm going to go ahead and start with these questions and answer them on my own. And, you know, unfortunately, Fachi won't be able to give an answer for these, but there are going to be 22 other questions, like I said, that he will be able to give his opinions on. So hopefully you guys check those out later in the week. But for this first one here, Chase said, what has been the biggest frustration with the team ever since the in-season tournament? And there's a lot of things that I could look at here, Chase, because I've been very disappointed with the Pacers' inability to play a full 48 minutes. And it's like they got up for these games to get to the in-season tournament championship against the Lakers. But, you know, but other than that, they they really hadn't been playing well in non-in-season tournament games. They were kind of, you know, toeing the line a bit about a 500 team, and that's kind of what they've been. So 
everybody's going to point to defense, and I totally get that, but that's been a reoccurring thing. It's not been something that's been a frustration of mine since the in-season tournament. I would say probably just the shot making. It, it's been pretty down, and I don't understand why, but I went back and I, I literally watched every single possession when they took a three against the Memphis Grizzlies. I went back and tracked every single one of them down, and there was like maybe 12 bad shots close to that. And some of those really, to me, weren't even that bad of shots. There was a couple that were like end of the shot clock type of thing. And the guy had to throw the ball up and, you know, you don't really like want to say it's a bad shot, but it is. And then there was a couple where guys maybe just rushed it a little bit. And some of those were even makes. So they're, they're getting the looks that they want. They're just not hitting shots and you're going to go through slumps like that. But that has been the most frustrating thing to me. It's like, it's not just like, oh, Buddy's slumping right now. It's like, no, Buddy, Tyrese, everybody but Neesmith was really slumping there for a little bit, and it's just kind of head-scratching. It's like a, a, a just a negative energy is just connecting one to another, and guys just aren't hitting shots. At the level, they had been hitting them, and, and at the level, they need them to hit them at to win games. So I think, honestly, like the defense has not been great, but if you look at the offense, they're not putting up that many points during their during their losing streak here. They're... they're play of late where they've lost six of their last eight. It's it's really been their defense hasn't been that bad. It's it's not been good, but it's not been that bad. It's more so just been the offense has not been able to make baskets. And I thought they shot the ball pretty well against Orlando. Obviously, we talked about the fouls and stuff like that when I did the recap episode. But, you know, they shot the ball particularly well on that one that, that starting five did, but everybody else did not. So, you know, it just if they could find some level of consistency to help tie out because – this team has essentially become, if Tyrese isn't great, they're not going to win a lot of games. The anomaly obviously was against Miami when Bruce Brown had 30 points and everybody really shot the ball well in that game. Since then, it's kind of like they haven't found that consistent rhythm. So that is the thing I've probably been the most frustrated with is just the inability to make shots and, and kind of tying that in with nobody being able to step up and help Tyrese and take that load. You know, Tyrese is a really good basketball player. And when teams are throwing out so many different coverages at him and he's trying to learn from it, there's going to be open guys. And I mean, I'm telling you, these shots have been open that these guys are missing. And it's just like, how are we missing so many open shots? But then it comes down to shot selection. Um, can they do a better job of, hey, if we're not making threes, even though they're open, maybe we drive to the basket if there's a little bit of a lane? Because if you have an open three, that means that you're probably going to have space in front of you to step in. And I think Ty did a good job of this against the Magic. Um, he he took more two-point shots instead of just settling for three-pointers. And that's another way he can get going is maybe scoring a little bit more inside the arc and not inside the paint. Maybe in that more mid-range area, which I know that the Pacers, um, at least last year anyway, Chris Duarte said Rick Carlisle calls that mid-range area jail. But if they're able to get better and clean looks there, then I would be happier with that than just chucking threes if they're not hitting them. So uh, uh, kind of a long-winded way of saying shot making, but that's kind of where I'm at, and I wanted to tie it with shot selection. So um, that is that one. Let's move on to the next question here from Gavin. He said, are these losses putting pressure on the front office to make a trade? Well, Gavin, um, I would say that I believe it is. I think that the Pacers are kind of in a tough spot where the front office did not fully commit one way or the other to what they wanted this season to be about. But every single player and every coach has said, we're trying to get ourselves ready for the playoffs. That's why they took the in-season tournament so seriously is because they wanted to try to prep these guys that really haven't had 
that type of playoff experience to get a little bit of it. You know, it's not the same thing, but that crowd that was there in Gambridge Fieldhouse against Boston was huge. You know, beating Milwaukee and Vegas, even though the crowd was not great, I will say this, they they played a tough game. It was an elimin elimination game, and that's the second loss that the Bucks have had in the month of December. They lost on Christmas Day to the Knicks, so they had won like nine in a row, something crazy like that. So they had been playing really good basketball, but – yeah, I just I just feel like the Pacers have, you know, uh not played well enough to really make you feel like this is a team that's going anywhere great, but they want to make the playoffs and I think that right now they're a 500 team which would get them into that conversation, but if they want to avoid the playing and I think that they need to make a trade and I think the front office is actively looking and listening because there's a reason why we heard the rumors last year about Mikel Bridges and OG Ananobi, and then the reason you heard rumors this offseason about Pascal Siakam, I think the Pacers are, you know, keeping their ears open if they feel like the right deal could come about. I, I don't know if they're as aggressive as maybe myself, Fachi, the fans might want, but I think that they're probably actively looking, but maybe trying to find a deal that's not going to break the bank and keep their flexibility open moving forward, knowing that they could have quite a bit of cap space in the offseason. So it would not shock me if maybe they go in a little bit on, a, on an expiring contract, knowing that that asset might not be as valuable for a team trying to trade them, where you might not have to give up as much. Because if you're trading for a guy that's got two to three years on his contract or on a rookie scale deal, you're going to have to give up a lot more to get those type of players than potentially one that's on an expiring contract. So I, I definitely do think that the Pacers – um, have their struggles have put a little bit of pressure on the front office. So hopefully that kind of answered that, that, that that's quite that question for you there, Gavin. Um, moving on next question here is from our guy rooster. And he said, in your opinion, what is the best starting lineup lineup with the current players on the roster? And what should the rotations be to ensure the best chance at winning for the rest of the season, assuming there are no trades. And this is a really good question. Rooster. And it's probably one that I think can be, it's a little bit controversial from what I've said um, because I'm trying to think of how do we balance this out the correct way and, and find the right lineup combination. So I know that Rick Carlisle values having two ball handlers out there in the starting lineup. However, I feel like Andrew Nimhard is a better fit next to Tyrese than Bruce Brown. That's probably a hot take. I'm sure there's a lot of people that cover the team that think that Bruce should continue to start over Andrew. I do not. Bruce is the highest paid player. Andrew is the lowest paid player. It makes sense to put Andrew on the bench, kind of have him be the backup point guard. But I think the Pacers should put Bruce back in his natural role of being a six man and have Andrew start next to Tyrese because he played the position so well. And I personally feel like Andrew Nimhart is a better defender. That's just my opinion. What he does when he's playing his best basketball is better than what Bruce does when he's playing his best basketball. Now, Andrew has to be a better shooter. He's not shot the ball well this season. Bruce hasn't necessarily either, but he has shot a little bit better. Then you look at that small forward position, and I know that Aaron Neesmith has been someone I've been banging for to, to start, but I don't like having uh, all your defense in the first unit and none in the second, which kind of puts me... To, to lean more keeping Buddy in the starting lineup for right now. And it's interchangeable to me, but 
I feel like Buddy's shooting is is huge for floor spacing, and I'm hoping that you know he can continue to kind of get out of that slump because against the Magic, yeah, he maybe wasn't the greatest at closing the game in the clutch, but he was really solid throughout the meaty parts of those comebacks that the Pacers had. So I would continue to start Buddy for now until they're able to actually get a three. And then I thought, well, maybe I could start Aaron at the four and bring Obi off the bench. But I feel like Obi Toppin is at his best playing with Tyrese and not being separated from him. So if you want the best version of Obi Toppin, you need to play him with Tyrese Halliburton, but I also don't think he needs to play a lot of minutes. I think if he played like 20 minutes a game and there was were mostly with Tyrese, then I would be totally fine with that. And then Miles would get the start. Okay, so now you're looking at a bench unit of Bruce Brown, Ben Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Jalen Smith, but I'm throwing Jairus Walker in the mix here too. I think these 10 guys need to be playing a little bit more. And I know TJ McConnell is going to be left out of this conversation, but I kind of feel like TJ's that X factor that if the, if the group that you have out there is not playing right, then you try to throw him in there to get some extra juice. But regardless of who starts, I, I think that your rotations will be changing a little bit with how I have this. I think that you probably start Andrew next to Tyrese for the first four to five minutes and then bring him out. And then you go uh, with Bruce and Aaron for Andrew and Obi. And now you've got Tyrese, Bruce, Aaron, Buddy, and Miles. Uh, which gives you some good defense. And then you bring Andrew back in with that second unit to kind of run the point guard. So even though I'm starting him, I'm still going to bring him back in at the end of the first quarter to kind of run that second unit as the point guard. And I think that if you can have Tyrese, Andrew, and Bruce out there, mostly all at the same, like, you know, two at the same time, that's really good for your ball movement. But I do, I do think that Buddy and Tyrese and Obi and Tyrese are best when they're playing together. Buddy can play a little bit without Ty, obviously, just because he's such a good shot maker, um, regardless of the inefficiency this year. But over his career, he's by far the best shooter on this team outside of Tyrese. And you need that floor spacing with how the Pacers want to play. Obviously, Aaron Neesmith has shot the ball well percentage-wise, but at the same time, the volume that he shoots him at is not nearly the volume that Buddy shoots him at. And I, I want to have Aaron be able to come in with Bruce. That way you can have, you know, a more defensive-minded group. But then you also get Jairus an opportunity to come in there and play some backup four uh, and then move Aaron up to the three. There's there's different ways you can figure out how to play all ten guys. Um, if you only go nine and maybe don't play Jairus as much, that's fine. But I think Matherin has been really uh, much better off the bench than he was as a starter. And I think that you kind of just continue to ride that out in, until – he really just like explodes off the bench and kind of proves like he deserves to be starting. But right now the way the team has been flowing, I feel like Ben is better off the bench. So it's tough. It's a tough conversation. And I don't really love doing that one because there's so many different ways you could do it. Because for me personally, I'm like, though the defense has been bad. Let's just go Tyrese, Andrew, Bruce, Aaron, and miles and just go really defensive heavy. But then it does kind of, I think hurt your offense as well. So you got to find that balance. And then you don't want a bench of buddy, Ben and Obi. That's just that's that's not gonna work <laughs> defensively. You cannot have that unit out there for very long. So that that's why I would roll with the lineup that I said. But I'm I'm up for your guys' suggestions on this one's too. I just I get Buddy's not been great, and I've actually said that Aaron should start for him because I don't feel like Rick is gonna put Bruce uh out and Andrew in. 
and that's why I would be okay if you made that change and and, and just put Aaron in for Buddy and kept Bruce in there uh, next to Ty in the backcourt. Wouldn't have a problem with that if that's what Rick wanted to do. But I think Andrew Nimhard is very, very talented. And I feel like what we saw him do against Orlando was so awesome. Uh, coming back from injury, just a second game, and just being that second facilitator, being able to get into the paint, I think he's a much better at getting into the paint than a Bruce Brown is, and that's what we talk about with this Pacers team is their comments of paint to great. That means getting into the paint opens up more opportunities because it causes the defense to collapse, and if he's able to kick it out to an open guy for three, it creates an open shot, and that's what you're looking for. So Tyrese, Andrew, Buddy, Obi Miles with Bruce, Ben, Aaron, Jarris, and Jalen off the bench would be my ideal 10-man rotation. Kind of had something similar to that at the beginning of the year, and I haven't really gotten away from it yet just because I don't think that there's really any room for, for Shep getting in there right now. Isaiah Jackson is too uh, hit or miss right now. I, I think he's serviceable as a third-string center, can play some backup when you're down with injuries. TJ McConnell, I worry about the size a little bit and the floor spacing. And then Jordan Ward to me, James Johnson, those two guys, I just don't really see them getting into the rotation just yet. So let's keep... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done. We're moving here. Aaron M said, I just don't see the OG hype, quite honestly. Do you think Jairus has a similar ceiling slash floor? Okay, this is a good question. Um, Two-parter, really, but to your response on you don't see the hype with OG. Well, part of the problem is I think that OG Ananobi is a guy that is not necessarily a second star, right? I, I think that we kind of talked about that when we were looking at our, our trade list of you know guys we would want to trade for, specifically second star guys. I like OG a lot, but if you're expecting him to be anything more than just a complimentary offensive piece, but a primary defender, then you're going to be disappointed. Like, what's he averaging a game that you're like 14 points a game? Like, that's not really jumping off the page. But just imagine if you could have OG and Anobi defending a guy like Paulo Boncaro versus maybe Buddy Hill or Obi Toppin. That excites me because he's actually a good defender, unlike the other two names that I mentioned. And he's only making $18 million this year. So if you can trade for him, you you do that. But if you even go after him in free agency, having somebody like that that can defend other teams' best wings, like he's not the best defender in the league. There's no doubt about it. But he's, to me, a, a coveted wing defender with his six foot seven frame. He's got good lateral quickness. And I think offensively, he could probably fit into what the Pacers want to do with their style. But he's been playing in Toronto style, which is a little bit different. That's why you've heard a lot of people say, well, I think Pascal would be a perfect fit with the Pacers and what their offensive uh, system really is. And so I, I do believe that OG Ananobi would fit the Pacers very well and would fill a position that they desperately need to fill. And Tyrese Halliburton said it after the Magic game. There was a quote. I heard it in person, didn't bring it up on the podcast. But he he talked about the Magic and just said they're kind of built the way the league is heading with a lot of wings. And you can say what you want to say, but Tyrese is a smart guy, and I don't think he just said that for no reason. He was giving the Magic praise while also acknowledging that he knows that our roster isn't built that way. So he wasn't throwing anybody under the bus, but, you know, this Pacers team is undersized guards playing power forward and forward. And it's just like, okay, it, it can work if we're hitting a lot of threes and we're outscoring teams. But when it comes to, can you get a defensive stop? That's when you need somebody. And that's where I think OG Ananobi is valuable to this team. Now, I think him and Jairus are completely different types of players. I think Jairus is more of a big, more of a four that could play small ball five, where I think OG is more of a three that can kind of be a small ball four um, when you need him to, because I don't really think six, seven is like the ideal position for a power forward. I think six, nine is. So uh, I think OG can guard forwards much better than an Obi Toppin um, or even, or even a buddy healed, right? Bruce Brown. Like they, these guys just aren't big enough. Like a Andrew Nimhard was having to guard Franz Wagner in the magic game. Like, yeah, you can, you can make it tough for him by being physical, but when you got four or five inches on somebody, they can just shoot right over you. So that's why I like OG because he's only two inches shorter than a lot of like six foot nine power forwards, but that's a that's a big difference being six foot seven compared to six foot four because it just gives you that extra three inches of size that you need. So I think Jarris though is more of a four or five, and we really don't know what Jarris's ceiling floor is at this point just because he hasn't really got enough playing time to showcase anything. In the G League, I thought there were some really nice moments from him, but like the championship game against the Knicks. Jacob Toppin just kind of had his way with uh, Jairus. And so I, I think Rick Carlisle talking about the willy-nilly gambling and stuff like that, it's true. I mean, Jairus has been breaking out of the Pacers' defensive scheme when he's played in minutes by just kind of being a little bit 
over the top with trying to create something when he's just not staying solid. And that's part of just being young. But I, I do think that there's a place for Jairus to be a really good defender. I just think he needs to get that opportunity to grow. And until he does, we really don't know what it is. But, you know, I, I can kind of see him being similar in, in terms of like what his what his ceiling is to like an OG's type of ceiling in terms of being like a 14 points per game kind of guy, maybe get it to like eight, nine rebounds a game and just be a really good defensive player. But I uh, I think he has really good offensive feel. Like his passing ability is really smart. Like it's just he's like the complete opposite of like Obi Toppin. Like Obi Toppin's a flashy dunker that might hit some threes. But other than that, you don't really see much out there. I think Jairus is kind of the opposite. He's kind of a guy that, you know, he probably ain't going to have a lot of flashy dunks, but he's got some bounce to him. He's a really smart defender, but he's still trying to grow into that. Um, and he, but that's what he's known for. Like his his reason for being drafted was because of his defensive mind and his defensive presence at Houston and, and what he can become. So he played point guard on IMG too. So he's got that ability to kind of be a secondary ball handler. So it's really hard to like give you a floor ceiling. And I, I hate to cop out of the answer, but I just can't really feel like, don't really feel like I can give an answer on that until I see more of him play. But he looked all right against Minnesota. I don't think he was that bad when he actually got some playing time. And was hoping that he would kind of get an opportunity to kind of expand upon that. But Rick Carlisle thought it was good for him to go to the G League and get some development and some and some playing time. So, you know what? I, I have no problem with that. I'm just wanting Jairus to get better. So, Aaron, hopefully that answers your question for you. But we have two more left. We have Tyler and Bucket. So, I'm going to start with Tyler. He said, would the losses be more to tolerable if a majority of the playing time was being given to the development of young guys and not the underperforming vets, Hilton and Brown? Okay, this is a good question, Tyler. And I think you can understand it more, but I just think what's been frustrating more than anything is just the way the guys have have kind of competed. They've competed in some of these games. Like I thought the Minnesota game, they competed very well, especially without Tyrese. But you, you look at the game against the Clippers. And I know they were down quite a few guys and, and stuff like that. And the, and the rookies were in the G League showcase and Miles was out and Jalen was out and Nimhard was out. And you're thinking, okay, how are they going to show up? And, and, and the Clippers were playing really good basketball, but they were just so lackadaisical with their focus. And it was so frustrating. So I, I think that, yeah, but at this point in the season, I think we're a little bit too ahead of ourselves thinking, oh, should we be developing over playing veterans who haven't been playing well? I think that this team and ultimately Tyrese Halliburton wants to get into the playoffs. And so if that's what Tyrese wants, and I think that's, that this team really could value some playoff, you know, just playoff experience getting into a first round series, that's only going to make them more attractive. And if they continue to be this bottom dweller, you know, like a laughing stock of the league, like, uh, like a Detroit or even even a team like Washington. I know the Pacers lost him, but like nobody's really taken Washington seriously. And that's why the Pacers, I think, overlooked them. You know, you don't want to become that type of team once again. We saw last year how miserable it was to watch games in January when they lost like 11 or 12 out of like 13. It's not fun to lose. And I think the best way to develop is like, yeah, Jairus might not be getting a lot of NBA playing time, but you're still trying to develop Matherin. You're still trying to develop Nimhard. You're still trying to develop some other younger guys on your roster and you need those veterans out there to kind of help ease a load. Like look at what Detroit's dealing with right now. And I know that they're like a, the worst case scenario type of thing, but 
they've got so many young guys, but no veterans to really lead them. You know, Bojan Bogdanovic, 34, 35 years old, he's not the type of leader they need out there. The other ones, uh, Joe Harris hasn't played. He's been hurt. And then Alec Burks has recently started to play a little bit more. But, like, no, like, you need your veterans, like your Miles, like your buddies, like your Bruce's, to go out there. and Because those guys compete hard. I don't care what anybody says. Even if they're struggling, they play hard every night for the majority of the season. And they, and they want to win. And I think you have to find that fine balance of, winning versus developing and you know these guys developing while winning is huge and i think that you can see the development i think we can already tell how ben matherin has improved this season from when he was starting to coming off the bench and different things he's worked upon like his playmaking his passing you know his shooting like there's been things he's gotten better at and he's still a work in progress yes but he's he's gotten better uh you've seen aaron neesmith take some big steps forward jalen smith has improved this year I mean, Obi Toppin compared to last year has improved uh, as a pacer. And so it's okay to say, yeah, we, we just have such a young team that it's hard to develop everybody. But I understand your question. So uh, I would say that it would not be more tolerable, but I think it would be more understandable to fans if that were the case. I, I'm perfectly fine with how they've gone about, you know, the minutes and stuff like that. Sure, would I like to see Jairus Walker get some more minutes? Absolutely. That's why I said I would have him in my rotation. But I also understand, like, if he's not ready, then they have to just groom him slowly and just bring him along slowly. And then when he is ready to get into the rotation and consistently shows that he can be a plus player, then he'll get it. I, I, I don't like just giving guys minutes because they feel like they're entitled to it. But at the same time, I also think that you should give them opportunities when other guys are underperforming. And if that's the case you're trying to make, then I see your frustration. So I'm I'm sure that this is probably not the most popular answer, but people that act like Bruce and Buddy don't play hard aren't really watching how hard they are playing. It's just they're just overmatched sometimes with the – task that is being asked of them on the defensive end. And I, if anybody thought Bruce Brown was trying to be like this great player, that's going to come in here, highest paid guy, going to really change things. Like that's not who he is. He's a role player. And I think Buddy Hill's kind of in the same spot. So, but when you've seen them play like consistently this year, Bruce and Buddy to me have been more consistent than Ben Matherin for the majority of the season, just in terms of their defensive effort. And then where they're trying to be at offensively and play within the system. So that's why you see a guy like Buddy get put into the starting lineup over a guy like Ben. So um, for Jairus, it's just a tough spot. Uh, I don't think Obi Toppin's been great. I think Obi Toppin's been pretty meh so far this year. And I and I would be kind of shocked if they do bring him back after after the uh after the summer's over. I would I would be more shocked if he's back on this roster than if he's not. Because I, I think that if they want to go out there and get a power forward and free agency, they got Jairus, they don't trade him. That should be your front court moving forward, like at the power forward spot. And then I just don't think Obi Toppin really fits that. But I do think that he's shooting the ball incredibly well. I think has the best percentage from two point percentage this year. And when he's shot over like 10 shots a game, uh, the Pacers are like three and one in those games. And he's shooting over like 50 some percent when he takes 10 or more shots. So the numbers kind of say differently offensively, but defensively, if you watch him play, there's just no lateral quickness. And, um, I would love for Jairus to get more run, especially when you're playing against a team like Orlando that's got Franz and Paulo. But as a rookie, expecting him to be a stopper is asking too much of him. 
But at the same time, I would still like to see him, Jairus, that is, get a chance to fail, get a chance to go out there and prove what he can do. So let's keep it moving here. Bucket wants to know, what do you expect our record to be at the end of January? So the Pacers are currently 14 and 14 as we speak. They've got a game against the Rockets on the road. The Rockets are 12 and 2. The Bulls uh, are just 13 and 18 this year. Not great. Um, they play them on the road Thursday, and then they come back home Saturday and play the Knicks. I think the Pacers go 2 and 1 to finish out the month of December. And I'm going to say they actually beat the Bulls and the Knicks. I, I think the Rockets game is going to be a tough one for them. So I'm going to say they go 2-1 and one to finish out the rest of the month, which would put them at 16-15. and 15. Now, fast forward to January, they have 17 games. Now listen to this schedule. They're at the Bucs, come home and play the Bucs, uh, come home and play the Bucs. Then they're at home for the Hawks and two games against the Celtics and the Wizards. So they have a five-game home stretch there against Milwaukee, Atlanta, Boston twice, and Washington. Then they're on the road for the next... I believe it is six games. They're at Atlanta, at Denver, at Utah, at Sacramento, at Portland, at Phoenix. That's a very tough stretch. Then they come home and they've got the Nuggets, the 76ers, the Suns, the Grizzlies, and then they're back on the road against the Celtics. That is a brutal schedule here. The Bucs have been playing great of late. They're 22 and 8 as we're speaking. Only two losses in the month of December came against the Indiana Pacers to get to the in-season tournament championship. And the other one was on Christmas Day against the Knicks. I'm going to say the Pacers split with the Bucks to go one and one. Then I think they're going to beat the Hawks at home to go two and one. I think they're going to split with the Celtics to go three and two. I think they're going to beat the Wizards. That'll put them at four and two. Then they're going to go on the road against the Hawks. I think they're actually going to win that game. So now they're at five and two going on the road for a West Coast road trip. They've got the Nuggets on the road to start things out. I think they're going to lose that game to the Nuggets, but Bruce Brown will get his championship ring in that game. Then I think they're actually going to beat the Jazz. That's going to be a tough one. It's a back-to-back. -back. I think I might even put that as a scheduled loss, but I think they need that win. Then they're on the road against the Kings Thursday, and Tyrese has not had a great game against the Kings I worry about this game being a win for the Pacers, so I'm going to chalk that one as a loss, even though I don't love doing that just because I want to see the Pacers win that game really bad. So that puts them at 6-4 and four for the month of January. Now they're going to go on the road. Uh, they're continuing the road trip. They've got the Trailblazers. I think they're going to win that game to go to 7-4. and four. But then I think they lose the last game of that road trip against the Suns. So now you're looking at a team that's 7-5 and five with five games left. And they've got four of them at home. So this could be interesting. The first game back after a road trip is always the worst. And they've got the Denver Nuggets. So I'm going to put that as a loss, even though I don't want to do it. Then they've got the 76ers at home. And if Joel Embiid plays, it's going to be a tough game. They've proven they can beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia. But I think that's going to be a tough one. So I'm going to give them a loss there too. That puts them at 7-7, seven and seven, 500. That's what they've been all year for the most part in the month of January. And then they've got the Grizzlies at home. I'm actually going to give them a win um, against the Grizzlies. I actually, I think I missed the Suns game. So I think they're going to beat the Suns as well. And I think they're going to beat the Grizzlies, but I think they're going to lose on the road to the Celtics. So I'm being very friendly here. I think they go nine and eight to uh, in the month of January, which would put them at 25 and 23 heading in to February. 
that's right when you see the trade deadline around there. I think the pace are going to see that they need some help in the front court, but I feel like 25 and 23 feels about right with where this team's at. Maybe they end up going 24 and 24, the eight and nine, but around that range, I think they stay at 500 with the roster they currently have constructed, but don't be surprised if you start hearing some trade chatter at the end of that month, potentially some in February, but I think they're going to get a game against the Suns. I think they're going to split some there with the Bucks and the Celtics. I, th I think there's some opportunities to win games here, but it's going to be difficult. So that's what I think, but that's going to wrap it up for the mailbag podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, me and Fachi will be back. Like I said, tonight, uh, tomorrow night, excuse me, to recap the game against the, the Rockets, which I think is going to be a tough one for the Pacers. I actually predicted them losing this game, but hopefully they proved me wrong because the Pacers need a win against a, a quality team, but it's going to be tough. Like I said, 12 and two at home this season for the Houston Rockets, very good home team. So with that being said, everybody, thank you all so much for checking us out. If you like this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating interview over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PacersPodSTP. I'm at Alex GoldenNBA, Foxes at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And we'll be back tomorrow. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth.